0: We don't subscribe to the old school way nor the new school way. Only the optimal way—the eighty twenty baseball experience with Coach Bow. Welcome, everybody. This is Coach Bow with eighty twenty baseball. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. We're gonna get right into it. Part one. I got multiple recommendations today for part one, and you're gonna see exactly how that came about and why I have multiple recommendations. And it's gonna have something to do with a recent move that my family made. Part two, we're gonna talk about how coaches can really, really up the quality of their speeches and their dialogue and their team talks and when they're talking with their team or in fact, when they're talking with any of their players. And we're gonna talk about a couple strategies that all coaches can use. And a lot of coaches, I think, when I when I try to bring up these strategies, I look at baseball and I look at the baseball community and I look at areas that More often than not, there are certain things that that aren't done as optimally as they could be, and this is one of them I think could be improved. A lot of coaches are trying to do a really good thing. They're trying to give their players a lot of information, and we're going to talk about when it comes to talking with your team, talking with your players, post-game talks, pre-game talks, less is more, and we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you a time that I think you should keep it under, some strategies, to really help your post-game talks, your pre-game talks, your post-practice discussions, your in-practice discussions, anytime you're talking with your team or with any of your players for that matter. In part three, we're going to get down to talking about pitchers and specifically how we can improve the timing and the rhythm of the stretch delivery. And this goes for almost all pitchers, maybe outside of like some which is a very, very small, small group. All right. Now, In our next episode, I want to hit this before we get to part one. In our next episode, the plan is to have an interview with a pitching guy who really knows his pitching. And I'm going to be interviewing him. We're gonna dive into pitching. So if you're into pitching, you coach pitchers. If you're if you are a pitcher, you're you're not gonna to want to miss that one. And you know if you coach a team in general, especially like a youth team or a high school team, then there's a good chance you are gonna be working with pitchers. And I think it's definitely gonna be worth your time. We're gonna dive into some some really good stuff about pitching. So that's the plan. That interview is supposed to take place this week, and I'm trying to get. My goal is to get the podcast episode uploaded and released to you guys sometime next week so i'm excited about that all these episodes that I've been doing, I've done the audio article episodes where I wrote out and produced a lot of good articles. I, I In my opinion, I thought they were really good and, and then I read them out. So kind of like an audio book, but an audio article. And then recently I've been doing the, you know, part one, part two, part three podcasts, these 25, 30 minute podcasts where we're talking about recommendations. We're talking about some strategical things that coaches can do specifically to get better and be better and optimize the coaching game. And then we've been talking about like a specific skill or a specific thing that a player can do on the field. Like, for example, today we're going to talk about the pitching and the stretch and the pitching delivery out of the stretch. So I'm excited about getting into the interview kind of format a little bit more. I know there's a lot of interview formats out there. In fact, most baseball podcasts are interview style. And I do enjoy interview style. I do enjoy group podcasts. But I do think that there's a place for like audiobooks where obviously this podcast is not an audiobook, but audiobooks don't have a back and forth. It's essentially just a lot of good content typically given, a lot of good stuff, a good story given by an author, by a narrator. And I think sometimes we can get a lot out of that too. We can get a lot more out of that in a faster way, but at the same time, interviews are really, really, really fun to listen to because it's kind of like you're, you're eavesdropping on two people talking, three people talking shop, or whatever it is. And sometimes that can be enjoyable. There's a little more banter and things like that. It does draw out the content a little longer. So if you're trying to get content in a you know in an acute form and you're trying to get a lot, like in 30 minutes or 25 minutes, you know these podcasts aren't like. Of fishing in that way, so there's a trade-off either way. They both have their pluses. So, anyways, we're gonna get into that, and uh, you know, on the next episode, I'm planning on doing a deep dive, a pitching interview. Excited about that. All right, part one. So I got some out-of-the-box recommendations. Out-of-the-box recommendations. Now, what do I mean by that? Typically, this first part of the episode, I give you like one recommendation. I talked about Jocko Willing's new book that he came out with. Uh, We also talk about some things that, uh, you know, some things that we got to be careful of in the baseball community, things we got to keep an eye out, kind of some red flags that we can all learn from. And that's typically how we uh, take part one. In this particular one... uh, I got a lot of things to recommend, but we're not gonna get into each of them in a deep dive, but down the road we will. So recently I moved with my family and I grew up in Southern California. It was just a real treat to grow up in Southern California for a lot of reasons. And growing up there, just, you know, it was beautiful. The weather's beautiful. We'd go down to the beach and although I wasn't like a surfer or a beach bum, I would go to the beach a lot. And baseball was big in Southern California. It's big in a lot of places and there's great baseball played everywhere, specifically like in California, Southern California, baseball was just a year round. It was just a high level of quality and a high quantity of quality players all over the place. And, you know, some of the teammates I played with, there's a long list of teammates that I played with in Southern California that you guys would all recognize their names. And, you know, down the road, we can kind of bring up some of those names as as they come up into the conversation. But it was a blessing. I was 15, 20 minutes from Angel Stadium. So I lived, at, my high school was actually in Anaheim, although I didn't live in Anaheim. It was in Anaheim, but I was only about 15, 20 minutes from Angel Stadium. So I got to go to a lot of the, I mean, our Little League Day every year was we would walk around the inside track of the stadium at Angel Stadium. So that was really cool when you're like seven eight nine ten. 10. My high school ch- baseball team played championship games at Angel Stadium. And then my junior year, we played at Dodger Stadium. I grew up a Dodger fan more than. Than anything and went to a lot of Dodger games and so just you know just baseball was everywhere I would you know just it was just really really a great place to grow up in terms of baseball the weather is unbelievable I love my sandals and stuff like that so um, but recently moved from Southern California and I moved up here to Boise so I'm in Boise a little north the town from Boise just loving it here I was unpacking my, well, before I move into this, unpacking all this great baseball stuff that I want to give some shout outs do some recommendations to, and for you guys to, to go check out on your own time, and then we'll dive into them in some future episodes for sure. The uh, Boise State baseball team, after a 40-year hiatus, they just started up their program after 40 years, and they joined up the D1 ranks, so the college baseball is here in Boise, and I know they're going to do some great things with that program. I know they got a new baseball field that's being built, so I'm excited to get out to that and watch some quality college baseball one of the great uh, NAI teams in all of the country is Lewis and Clark State now that's quite a bit north of here, but that's in Idaho. The uh, Northwest has a lot of good baseball, and Boise also has the Rockies uh, short season A team, so that's pretty cool. In fact, I coached a pitcher about four years ago, five years ago, that went to Long Beach State and then got drafted by the Rockies and was playing in Boise this last summer. Obviously, baseball is not going on right now, but I'm excited to get out to some of those games and you know watch the pro ball and watch the uh, high-level college baseball. I know that every time I'm driving through the neighborhood or walking through the neighborhood, there's kids playing baseball out, here in the parks they're definitely socially isolated don't worry there's social isolation they are long tossing so they're keeping their distance they're working on their long toss so that's good and uh but i see a lot of baseball being played so i'm I'm, I'm excited about that but i was going through the last couple boxes As I was in the garage, as we unpacked everything and moved into our new house and I'm going through the last couple boxes and in the second to last box was all my baseball stuff. Not all my baseball stuff like work stuff, but all my like my books and all my notes and my notebooks, baseball paraphernalia, baseball cards, gloves. I mean, the whole thing was in there and uh, I came across a couple things that were really, really, I thought really cool. I saw a tweet the other day by Shelly Duncan and Shelly wrote something out about the physics or he tweeted something about the physics of baseball a book by Robert Adair and I I see I sent I think he sent it out like like yesterday or a couple days ago but just the day before that when I was opening the boxes I came across the original edition of the physics of baseball by robert adair he's a yale professor he wrote a great book in fact this is the original uh i think this was bought when it originally came out and i think it was 1990 when this book came out you hear a lot of this stuff now that they're quantifying via technology that he had discovered and figured out a lot of it a long time ago so i remember growing up reading that book in the mid 90s 25 years ago and i was fascinated by it because it was just a totally different look from what i was used to seeing and kind of a you know stuff i didn't i just took for granted i would play baseball I'd throw the ball and you know a, a curveball spun tight when it spun tight and you know this and you know a fastball or if you hit the ball hard you know you you kind of saw the spin it was a little different if you knuckleball to hit it didn't you know didn't go as far you top spin and he talks about all that in the book and uh, I in fact I have the third edition Physics of Baseball I bought about 10 years ago. That's a great book. I highly recommend you guys go dig into that. It's not a long book, it's a short book, but it's really a great book. I came across Alan Yeager's book, Getting Focused, Staying Focused. That is a an outstanding book because I got into Zen, you know, growing up in LA, you had the Lakers and growing up in the 90s, you know, Michael Jordan and all the games were on TBS. So you could watch all the Chicago Bulls games. So in the 90s, you know, there wasn't a lot of stuff on. There wasn't cell phones. There wasn't internet. I watched a lot of Jordan games, and I watched Phil Jackson. And when he came to the Lakers, I started studying him because I knew I wanted to get into coaching. I just started coaching back in 03, and I knew it was something I wanted to do. So I started studying Phil Jackson. Well, Phil Jackson's nickname, as a lot of you know, is the Zen Master. And Alan Yeager's book here, Getting Focused, Staying Focused, is the subtitle is A Far Eastern Approach to Sports and Life. And this is a great book and he even talks about his personal training includes a study of Zen and yoga. In fact, the number one sports psychology or the mental game book that I recommend is actually, you know, definitely Alan Yeager's books at the top of that list, but at the very top is a book called Zen Golf. And I just pulled that out of the box. And you know, I know it's a golf book, but everything in it would apply and can apply and help in any sport or anything in life and i got more out of that zen golf book than by joseph parent than any other you know mental book and some of you guys are like well even heads up baseball well actually right now i'm looking at an original copy of heads up baseball by ken revisa and Tom Hansen, these guys are considered like the godfathers of the mental game of baseball. And they worked with athletes across the board and definitely baseball players for years. And Ken revisa uh, Dr. Reviza recently passed away. And he just gave so much to the game and brought so much to the table and really kind of got the mental game out there and highlighted the importance of it his book Heads Up Baseball I got the original this copy is beat up in fact this copy is so old that on the inside cover there's a sticker that says to order this book send a check for $17.95 to a P.O. Box in Redondo Beach California so you ordered the book you had to send you sent the check in and they would send you the book so this was definitely pre-internet This one's pretty beat up. It's got notes everywhere on it. But I want to say I got this back in the mid-90s. And so that one is a great Heads Up Baseball. is kind of like the the first book that really was out there when it comes to the the mental game of baseball. And there's been some great ones. I got another one right in front of me, Brian Kane, So What? Next Pitch. That's the title. I I think Brian Kane could have just stopped. I know Ken Revis actually used to say, like, so what? Next pitch. So what? Let's move on. So what? Next play. And Brian Kane's book, So What? Next pitch. I think Brian could have just stopped right there. And just that sentence alone, so what? Next pitch would help so many pitchers and players and hitters and and infielders and base runners and people in all walks of life just be better by just getting, so what? What's next? Next move. What's my next move? What's my next thing? So what? This happened. So what? That happened. I made an error. I struck out. I hit a batter, I gave up a home run, so what, next pitch, let's go. So uh, I got these great books, I recommend all these. And so this recommendation portion of this, I just wanted to bring up some of these great books. I want you to go check them out. I really recommend Zen Golf. If you like the golf and you coach baseball or play baseball, Zen Golf is is a must. Go get that book. Joseph Parent is the author. The Physics of Baseball is a little more, you know, obviously inherently about the numbers and some of that stuff so if you got a physics background you enjoy physics and things like that that's a that's just a great book alan yeager getting focused staying focused that's a really good one i'm a huge zen fan i mean i i started studying that i'm a huge meditation and being in the moment presence guy in fact moving to my last part of this part one the last part of part one here i found some documents some papers that i would give my pictures this was 15 years ago now I started my coaching career at Mary Star of the Sea High School in San Pedro. I would go over and just help out on Saturdays, but then I helped coach the Long Beach Wilson off-season team back in the back in the mid 2000s. Coaches couldn't coach their teams in the fall and winter. They could do like the 6 period or the the uh, the PE portion at school, but they couldn't coach them like on the weekend. So Long Beach Wilson, which is a pretty storied program, uh, and they won the national championship for high school baseball in 07. And uh, they're pretty storied. I went and I coached them. But then in uh, I went back when I finished. That was when I was still playing. I would go in the off seasons and work with those two schools. And then when I stopped playing professional baseball, I got right into coaching at my alma mater. And one of the first documents, and this is, I mean, this one's stained. It's an old piece of paper that I printed out about 15 years ago. And I gave this to my pitching staff and now that pitching to staff i mean we set a school record for era and it was a really really you know it was the high school i went to esperanza high school which is a very story program had a national title been the top team in southern california numerous times and uh, the the two years I was there, we were 48 and 12. 48 and 12, two years in a row, uh, in two years combined. So against the, the top competition in Southern California, against some of the top teams from outside of California. So it was a pretty good uh, team at the time. We did really well. And I gave these two things to my pitchers to learn and to think of when it came to the mindset, when it came to the mental part of pitching. So I'm going to read verbatim right off this thing I gave my pitchers 15 years ago. Number one. Confidence that each pitch about to be thrown is going to be thrown right where you want it to be while maintaining a relaxed, loose feeling throughout your body. Confidence that you can visualize that it's going to go to the glove and then maintaining a relaxed and loose feeling throughout the body. Basically, I titled this paper the two most important mental things for pitchers. And then number two there, the last pitch you threw, the last inning you pitched. Think about, remember what I said about Brian Kane's titled book, So What Next Pitch? And I don't, let me check the date on this So What Next Pitch. I, I didn't get this book until way later. Uh, so What Next Pitch was published in 2012. This edition was 2012. Well, I gave this paper out back in, this would have been 2005, 2006. Listen closely. Here's what, it's, what it says. The last pitch you threw, the last inning you pitched, the last game you pitched in, and the last year are over and done with. You cannot go back. Take the positive experiences from everything you do and keep moving along. Keep your thoughts on the present moment. When you're doing something, whatever it may be, stretching, long toss, flat grounds, bullpens, do it with complete focus and concentration. So you can tell I started studying the Zen and being in the moment, you know, before I started coaching. In fact, while I was still playing and I, uh, You can see where that kind of came through, but uh, you can see that mental game. I kind of just said, those are the two things, and those guys were really confident pitchers I worked with. Those guys were guys that really went out there in tough situations and really got it done, and then I have two other things that I pulled out papers. One was a throwing program. Now, I'm not going to go through the full throwing program on here. It's just a little hard over the microphone, but I did have rules, and I would give this to my team, my pitching staff, so the rules were for the throwing program. Number one, no talking, no talking at all. Now, when I say no talking, now if they had a question for the coach or a question for their partner about how their ball, the spin, or something, that was different. But they couldn't just shoot the breeze during the throwing program. Rule number two: Each throw must be made with the purpose of improving your mechanics and your delivery. Number three: Use four seam and two seam grips, and then mix in the changeup. Number four. Upon releasing the ball, keep your fingers on top of the ball. Although your fingers aren't going to be on top, I, I put that you know the physics, and and now we got these rap so uh, not or so, oh soda, but um, you have the the um, and these cameras, these you know even these iPhones now with the 60 frames per second slow mo that you're seeing. That the fingers obviously aren't going to be on top of the ball; they're going to be behind the ball, but. I put that there just to kind of make sure that they didn't get a low elbow and drag their elbow low through and and really think, and especially in the long toss portion, you don't want to have an an angle that's too steep for no reason at all. If you're going to go steep with your angle, it better be because you got to get it out there 300 feet. And then my last rule I had for him, all throws should be caught. So in other words, all throws should be to a target around the belt area. And I think back, I go, wow, you know, that's something I should have been a little bit more on top of as I move forward with my coaching career, saying, hey, we're aiming for the belt, aiming for the belt. A lot of times players play catch and they aim for the chest. They don't just aim for their partner. They just aim for their partner or they aim for their, their face or... So I think that's something you got to work on in throwing program. And last but not least I pulled out this quantitative and I knew I had this and I've been meaning to pull it out. This this is a quantitative. This is I I put this together after I read Moneyball when it first came out. I read Moneyball and and I quantified bullpens such as like I would have all three pitches broken up and then it would be total number of pitches divided by total number of points and fewer the points the better. Here I had a guy Matt Wolfram, Wolfie man, he was, he did pretty good. He was like 16 and he was like 16 and two in his high school career. He was a left-hander. He threw maybe 78 miles an hour. He pitched against some pretty good teams over the, in his two years on varsity. And, uh, his uh, number here, I had a 3.05. That was his number for the bullpen. And, uh, you'll see Nick Culver, another kid I coached Nick Culver, uh, he had a 2.14 which was better so you can see i actually quantified and i would get i'm gonna i'm gonna put this out i'm gonna i'm gonna scan this these documents and then i'll also try to put the template out there without all this scoring on it now all the tallies and the numbers on it but i quantified bullpens based off the quality of the pitch so if the fastball was belt high down the middle man that was a big no-no but if that pitch was also way outside you know you know totally ineffective it wasn't like they were trying to nibble well that was also worth a lot of points and and remember being worth a lot of points was not good so i quantified that and if you threw like if you hit the glove like i say you're throwing a fastball away uh away for say a fastball glove side you hit the glove it was right at the knees the glove didn't move well that was zero a zero was you know the best you could do a zero was a perfect score so i quantified this i think this is pretty cool stuff in fact i'm surprised more teams don't do that now that have the access to technology like coaches and i'm sure they do they just don't put it out there for everybody to know but uh Definitely you can go through and you can just kind of quantify. Like I just went through and I said, well, if the pitch is here, that's as good as it can be. If it's, if it's here, that's a little bit worse or a little, you know, or a lot worse, depending on where it was, depending on the experience of knowing pitches at the belt, if you missed with a changeup and you missed down and say it bounced off the plate, that wasn't as bad of a pitch in this analysis and in the quantitative analysis I was doing as a changeup that was belt high. A belt high changeup might've actually been at the top of the strike zone, but that was the worst spot to put it. It was better to throw it off the dish a little bit or down low a little bit. Now that wasn't a perfect score, but at least I factored all those into it. So I'll put that out there. So those are some things, you know, quantify your bullpens, make them fun. Part two, coaches, don't be long-winded when you talk to your teams. Don't be long-winded when you talk to your teams. I coached with a really, really, really good coach for about six and a half years, a really, really smart coach, and at the end of each game or at the end of practice, he could easily easily come up with seven nine fourteen things to tell the team or we could have got better or things we got to improve on or situations we could learn from or he could come up with an endless amount of things to cover because he saw the game you know such at a granular level he saw the game so well but his talks would go long and he would cover so many things and it was like the law of diminishing return and I would pull him aside after and I'd just say, hey, you know, everything you're saying is spot on and I love listening to what you got to say. But these kids checked out after three minutes. They were checked out after five minutes. And not only that, they know going in that it's going to be a 20 minute thing or a 15 minute thing or a 25 minute thing. So they might even just check out beforehand because they know it's just going to be a marathon of a, of a dialogue. I said, I highly recommend just taking the one, two, at the most three things that are the biggest needle movers, the things that are gonna make the biggest impact on the team culture or on the scoreboard in our next games. And I said, hit those two or three things and just, you know, just it's hard to like not tell your team something when you know they can get better at it. But yeah, I go, you just gotta you just got to hold back even though it's hard, even though you know they're messing up on this little thing here or this little thing there. You just gotta kind of just take it home with you. So coaches, I recommend you have a bulleted list if possible, one, two, or three things, or just have your two or three things in your head. Keep it under five minutes. If you can do it in three minutes, and really hit it for 180 seconds and just give them gold and give them the just really hit in a concise way some things one thing or two things or three things that are just going to really resonate and really just they're going to they're going to buy into and they're going to go with and they're going to be able to remember and they're going to be able to think of at the next practice it's not going to be like oh he just told me so much i didn't you know and they're kind of you know in one ear out the other I highly recommend you set a timer at, say you want to go four minutes, set a timer at three and a half minutes. When it starts beeping, wrap it up. Maybe have another coach keep the timer and he gives you a little wrap up sign. Or if you're going to go five minutes, set a timer for four and a half minutes right before you start talking, you know, and and tell your team, tell your team, say, I value your time. I value our time. So guys, I want five minutes. Give me four minutes of your time and that will be it. I've set a timer, guys. I want you to get these things. These are the most valuable things. I want you to listen. You can check with them to make sure that they got it at the end. But set that timer initially for some of you long-winded guys. Get that timer set, four minutes, 30 seconds, if you're going five minutes, and then start to wrap it up when that timer goes up and wrap it up. Be concise, ASAP, finish it up. Cover the most important things. More is less. And, and, and if you hit those two or three things that are so important to your, like the big needle movers, I, think the, I, I just think that's a super valuable thing. So part two, coaches, don't be long-winded when you're talking to your team. Bullet it out if you if you can't remember all three. And, and obviously, most of you can remember the three you want to hit. And also, the bullet of this keeps you from going off on a tangent because you, you can draw it right back. If you get a little long-winded with bullet one, you can pull it back to bullet two pretty quick. Just look down. What's bullet two? Boom. Go. Keep it to one to two to three things that are the biggest needle movers. So don't be in a hurry to go talk to your team. Maybe you meet up with your coaching staff. Guys, what are the things, the biggest things we need? what are the What's the number one thing that would make our offense better if we learned it and talked about it? What's the one thing that could have the biggest impact on our pitching staff? If we could improve it, boom, then you cover that. What's defensively or base running or what have you? Or it's attitude or team culture. What are the big needle movers? Hit those, take a deep breath, and just be okay with letting the other things just go by and just go home with not saying everything. Another thing that helps too is just add in specific compliments of things that are going well. Compliments, kids are going to listen. They want those compliments. So when you can tie in a lot of that constructive stuff into it and even, you know, kind of critiquing, then they're going to be more open to it because they know there's some good stuff that's getting packaged in there too. All right. Last but not least, part three, pitchers. Perfect the timing and the rhythm with a single stretch delivery and use that single delivery When runners are on base. What I'm saying here is, and I just put out a video, go to the website 8020baseball.com, and I call it the power slide step. I'm not a fan of the slide step, but I'm not a fan of big leg lifts with runners on base. Most pitchers have varying heights with their leg lift. Their, Their leg lift will you know be a short leg lift or no leg lift, just a straight slide step, or it'll be like a medium height. Or a really high leg lift when runners are on, depending on the situation, you know, runners can shift around the bases. And so there's certain likelihoods of of them stealing or not stealing, or certain runners are fast and some aren't. But what happens is it wreaks havoc on the, the rhythm. And the timing of the kinematic sequencing and the, you know, all the kinematic chain, the kinetic chain going through all of the moving parts from start to finish, from the initial move to the release of the ball. There's a lot of things that gotta go on. Lower body, rotation, torso, hip, torso rotation, the shoulder, arms, forearms, fingers. I mean, there's just so much involved with throwing a baseball and it happens really quick and we practice it and get so good at it. We don't have to think about it. And so there's, there's a lot of parts, but as a pitcher, you don't really think about all those parts, but there's a lot of room for things to go wrong when you start getting into varying leg lift height. What I'm recommending, and I propose pitchers get one leg lift height I recommend the power side step. It's a lift up your, your leg, your lead leg a few inches, just lift it up two, three, four, five inches, quickly lift straight up, not back towards the rubber, quickly straight up, and then push your front hip forward and then sink a little on your back leg as you're going forward, but it's all quick. It's a, it's a it's lift, push the hip out, sink and go. Now, it all happens so quick, so it's really hard to see it with the naked eye, but if you go and look at the video, the power slides, that video that I have out, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. I break it down for like 15 minutes. I'm telling you, this is a game changer when it, especially youth pitchers, high school pitchers, pitchers that just don't have all day to practice their timing and things like that. This is just really going to help pitchers repeat their delivery and timing and rhythm and repeating the delivery are so vital when it comes to pitching. We know they're important at hitting and that gets talked a lot about, but timing is so important and rhythm is so important for pitching. So I believe that this will help out pitchers not have to fight through the timing issues nearly so much and it doesn't sacrifice anything. I don't think it's gonna sacrifice. I think in fact the stuff, the command is gonna improve. I don't think it's gonna sacrifice velocity. I, I just don't. I think if it's done right, you're not doing a slide step, you're doing a power slide, Step it's fast enough to hold the runners and control the running game at first, but it's something that you should be able to use with runners at any position. It's fast enough to hold, it's quick enough to hold runners, but it's slow enough to be able to repeat and be consistent with the timing and the quality of the pitches. So I feel really good about this. A lot of years putting a lot of thought into this. In fact, I used to teach pitchers to have like three leg lift height in the stretch. So runner at first you know most of the time the runner was a threat to steal or could steal every once in a while you get a slow guy over there that wasn't going to go anywhere but most of the time it was something you, somebody had to pay attention to so i would i would teach him you know just be a little quick in fact we actually i actually taught him this power slide step but then i would tell my pitchers hey when a guy gets to second hey maybe buying a little more time getting a little higher leg lift is better And I thought that was more beneficial than just sticking with the power slide step. And I would tell them, hey, get a middle, you know, a mid-level, kind of a mid-height leg lift with a runner at second. And if the bases were loaded or if there's a runner at third, I would tell them, hey, get a big leg lift in there. Kind of like the closers, you know, out of the stretch with that big leg lift. But now I'm thinking back and I go, you know what, I would absolutely change. I would go back if I could and say, no, 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 you got your wind up. And that should be repeated very similarly. I know you see guys like Marcus Strowman, you know, those guys are doing some funky things. They pause, they do some as messi- it. Most pitchers aren't going. They're not that athletic. So they're just not going to be able to do that. Nor would you teach that. I think it's a little goofy. And I'll, I, if personally, if I was in charge of baseball, I wouldn't let pitchers do some funky like pausing in the middle of like their pitch, like randomly, unless it's something they consistently do. But nonetheless, you have your windup delivery that is the same, and then you have the same stretch delivery in terms of how fast. So basically, if you stopwatched it from first move to release, it would be the same every time. It wouldn't be like it wouldn't be like a .75, and then the next it would be like, and then it wouldn't be one point one and then you'd have a high leg lift and it's 1.2 it would always be about the same amount of time and i'm telling you this will help this will help repeat it can hold the running game but it also doesn't sacrifice the quality of your stuff and the best thing about it is it gives you that repeatable timing each and every time all right guys thanks for listening today go check that video out go over to 8020 baseball and check out all the podcasts the videos the articles and don't forget about the master coaching program over at 8020 Baseball. It's essentially for you coaches. It's got everything that you need to coach at the youth and even the high school level outside of like handling play uh, parents and, and fundraising and that sort of thing. But everything right there for on the field, for team culture, everything is there for you, ready to go. It's already been built. Go check that out. That's available at 8020baseball.com. Take care of yourself. Focus on the good things in your life. And take the info that you learned here and go out to the field and use it. This has been Coach Bo. Bye for now. This has been the 80-20 Baseball Experience. This is a really good team, and so you have to earn everything you have against them and take opportunities when they present themselves. Take it to the field.